Matthew 14, 22. This is right after Jesus fed the 5,000. Now, this is one of my favorite passages to preach on, and I preached on it a, few t- a couple times at church in the past two years. But I like to go back to it because I felt like it's appropriate for the season. How many guys know the Bible can speak to you over and over again? It's not like a movie. I guess we watch movies over and over again. But the, the revelation is not new. It's just the same thing, right? Except when my wife and I watch Lord of the Rings, we always get new revelation. Because it's so stinking long. It's like you miss something. But the Bible is, is a lie because it speaks to you in the seasons that you're going through. And then if you read it like five years ago, it'll speak to you for that season. And you read it now, it speaks to you for this season. It doesn't mean the word has changed. It means that God is highlighting things for you for that season. Amen? So, it's, I mean, he highlighted things for me, and I'm just sharing that with you. People ask me all the time, like, how do you prepare for sermons? I just read the Bible for myself, and I just share it with you. That's a good strategy. There was a season when I just prepare sermons for you, and that burned me out. Now I'm just like, I'm just going to read it for myself, whatever, happ- whatever I get. I'm going to just share it with you. Doesn't that sound like good news? It's like kill two birds with one stone. That's much better than, amen. All right, Jesus walks on water. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Everybody say, to the other side. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Everybody say, pray. And it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from land, battered. Everybody say battered. For the wind was contrary. Everybody say contrary. contrary. How many guys know when you're, when you're obeying the Lord, it's not always smooth sailing. The Lord said go to the other side. God already knew that there's going to be a storm. The winds were contrary. How many guys know there's going to be contrarian forces that come against your destiny and purpose? Every single time. So. Every, just because you have opposition doesn't mean that, um, like, it doesn't mean that God did not sanction that. It means that God sanctioned that so that you can overcome the enemy, so you can stand over the enemy. That's why he walks on water. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to him walking on the sea. Fourth watch, six to nine. First watch, 9 to 12, second watch, 12 to 3, third watch, 3 to 6, the fourth watch. It means that, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if they actually were rowing for nine hours, but they were rowing, they were trying for a long time. Everybody say they were trying for a long time. When disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to him walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out, in fear, every time Jesus, you see the, the word see, it is a symbol of chaotic nature of our world. That's why the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters to bring order to chaos. And in Revelation, you also see that at the end of all time, the consummation of all things, when Jesus is ruling and he has a new earth and a new heaven, you see the sea as glass. Can't wait to go to Hawaii this year because that's what I love. 
it reminds me of heaven when the sea is calm and it's like glass and you can't tell the difference between where you're in the water, outside the water. I do this all the time. People must think I'm crazy. I'm just like, wow, it's almost like there's nothing there. I do it every time. I've gone to Hawaii more than 10 times, but every time it amazes me. Lanikai Beach, what the heck? This and you see turtles. I'm like, wow. It's a reminder of heaven. There is peace. There's no chaos. There's no storms. And Jesus is walking on top of chaos to remind you that he's on top of it. It's a ghost, they said. How many guys know when you have no faith that God can be on top of chaos, that you ascribe to God a nature that doesn't belong to him? I told my wife I'm going to let things sink in, sink in a little bit and pause. Because sometimes she says, you said something good, but we didn't get it yet. I'm just going to let you just pause. When you don't believe that Jesus can walk on water, you ascribe to him a nature that doesn't belong to him. You're no longer fearing God. You're afraid of God. That's a good point. But Jesus immediately spoke to them saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Take courage. Greek translations could be, be cheerful. It is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the winds, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. How many guys know once you take your eyes off Jesus, your prayers change? If you no longer see Jesus walking on the water and you're afraid, you, you're consumed by the storm and the contrarian forces, then your prayers are almost always going to be petitionary. Save me! Do something as if God's not listening. But if you see Jesus, it's a different kind of prayer. Let me come on the, on the water and let me be over the chaos of my life. Show me how to do that is your prayer. Show me what you're doing so I can join you. That's your prayer. When you see Jesus on the water, your prayer changes. That's how you know you see Jesus, as you should. Your prayer life is evidence of how you see Jesus. Okay. So why did you doubt? Saved him. Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when they, that's a Greek region, a Gentile region. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding districts and implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. As many as touched it were cured. Now, Matthew puts this testimony of the cloak. We see that this testimony spread of the woman touching the cloak of Jesus and that healing, how many guys know, it went viral. And in this Gentile region, a non-Greek region, they knew about it, so they 
just through the sheer testimony, they already knew what to do. It wasn't magic. It was just remembering the testimony. If he did it for him or her, then he can do it for us. She touched the cloak. And God in his gracious nature, even though they didn't fully understand, just that faith alone, people were healed. In Matthew 6, the same, I mean Mark 6, it tells the same passage, but Mark 6 alludes to the same kind of principle about remembering testimonies and say your hearts were hardened and you were fearful because you didn't remember the loaves. I fed the 5,000 with the loaves. You were just with me. You forgot. When you forget testimonies and you forget to remember what God did in the Word and what God is doing in our lives, your hearts get hardened. How do I soften my heart? Just, Lord, soften my heart. The key to softening your heart is to remember what God did so you can align yourself to the future. Amen? I feel like I already preached. Jesus said, go to the other side. How do we, I'm just, when you're going through things, when you're going through it, man, there's storms, there's waves, and there's crashing over you. You feel like you're going to die. You feel overwhelmed and by the world. And we just did a podcast yesterday, and then we we're talking about end of the world and transhumanism, and it was like pretty heavy. And Becca was like listening, going, man, this is pretty dark. And my wife's like, it's dark, honey. This, is, this, this podcast is dark. Where's Jesus? Jesus. Yes, where's Jesus? Jesus is walking on the water. He is not worried. He's not anxious. He knows. He's got it all. But how do we overcome? How do we overcome? How do we persevere? How do we get through the fourth watch of the night? One of the key principles, I'm going to give you some key principles to get to the other side. You guys want to know? You want to get to the other side instead of being stuck in the storm? How many of you guys know there was another story in the Bible? It's called the Israelites in the desert. They got stuck in the desert for 40 years. Because they couldn't get to the other side. How many of you guys know you can get stuck in the storm and never get to the other side? Can somebody say amen? I don't want you to be stuck. Because you can get stuck. You can be saved and stuck. You can just go through the routine of coming to church and doing, their, doing your routines and your morning Bible studies and you can still have no revelation, no encounter with God. You can get stuck. How do we overcome? One of the first keys that you need to understand is that the Word preserves you. And it's not just memorizing verses. It's the Word. The, the, there's like the Logos Word, what's written, and, there, and also Logos symbolizing the Word, who is God. Every truth written in this word is a representation of God, but there's also the rhema word, which is the now word. And Jesus said to them, go to the other side. Notice that the disciples never said, why is this storm happening? Because you told us to go to the other side. None of them said, hey, hey, what's going on here? You told us to go to the other side. They were just afraid. Your word, your your, your command, the, the thing that God put inside of your inner being, that, that thing inside of there is there to preserve you for your future. What has God said about my life is what's going to preserve you for the future. Mm. Get to the other side. 
First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.18, it says, This I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in according with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. Now, there's the word that is the foundation for all things, but there's also the living word that God speaks to your life in your inner being that preserves you for your purpose. When you're going through it, you have to remember what God said about your life. If there's nothing to hold on to, you're standing on shaky ground. If the world is shaking and you're shaking along with it, you're standing on the wrong ground. Get to the other side. That was the command of God. He's preserved you for a purpose. There's a command upon your life. You're not, you're not, that's what it means to be made in the image of God. It doesn't mean that we look like God because God is a spiritual being. We may reflect him in some way, but what it means is this. We are the imagers of God. We are created to, bear, to reflect his image and spread it through the world. That's what it means in the Hebrew. That's why every life born is holy and sanctified because there's a purpose and a calling on that life. You cannot destroy that purpose and calling. It's not up to us to do that. Every single child. You guys hearing what I'm saying? You have to have a purpose. What is your purpose? What is the word that somebody gave to you to give you a purpose and you know that, you know that God spoke to you? You know, I've been doing this for a long time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I think this is, I think, 20, 1994, so almost 20 years next year. No, 30. That's bad math. <laughs> 30 years. 30 years of doing this, people. And I remember I went to class uh, I still remember Professor Blackman, he was in the psychology department. Our seminary had three departments, world mission, theology, and psychology. So I, I used to take electives in the world mission because they had all the fun stories. And then I took one elective in psychology, and it was pastoral care. So I thought, I better take one. This probably wouldn't help me. And the first thing that I, Mr. Uh, Professor Blackman said to us is like, one in, five, one in five of you sitting here, one in five, 20%, will make it past three years. And we looked at each other. We're all looking at each other with so much young bravado. We're like 24, 25 years old. We looked at each other. Ain't going to be me. And everybody was like, ain't going to be me. I'm going to make it. I have a true calling. And then he said, out of the 20, one in 10 will make it for 10 years. I can't do the calculations, but that's small percentage. <laughs> right on the spot. <laughs> Can somebody good at math? 2%. 2% of my class will make it. There's like 100 of us. There's two out of 100 will make it past 10 years. Now, your pastor slash professor slash I don't know what else I do, 30 years. Ups and downs, all kinds of contrary winds and storms. And people are like, how did you make it? We'll be, we'll be married for 30 years next year. I think we deserve a good European vacation for that. Lord, give us money so we can go on Europe for a month. You guys, you're all alone for a month. 
How, people ask me, how did you persevere? How did you do that? It was all because I know that I know that I know that the Lord spoke to me. 1993, in a missions conference that I just went just so that I could be a better Christian lawyer. Sat there and the Lord spoke to me, sitting at the front, minus 20 degree weather outside. And I told my wife or girlfriend, and she also said, we need to get there early because we're, I don't wanna, I'm, I'm sick of tiring, tired of sitting at the back with 18,000 people singing, oh, for a thousand. I'm, I said, I want to be at, right at the front, at the stage. And I sat there, and the speaker spoke, and I was so convicted. And I was sitting down, and I said, I give my life to you. And I heard the voice of God so clearly. It was inaudible, but it was so clear that it frightened me. I want your life. You have my life. No, I don't want, I don't, I don't want you to choose your life I want to choose your life for you and want you to be my servant and preach the gospel of Jesus. No. That's the first thing I said. No, sir. No, sir. Anything else? No, sir. No, no. You know when I said I'm going to go to Africa for that one person? No, I didn't mean that. I, wanna say, I just want to sit here. Can you please let me be a lawyer? I'll be a good Christian lawyer. Please. Please, God, please, I will proclaim your name as a lawyer, and I want to I make a lot of money. Please, God. Because I saw my pastors, they're so poor. But I saw him carry me onto the altar, and he said, like Isaac, I want you to give me your life, and I'll give it back to you. You know, I sat there for an hour. I don't know if it was exact. It just seemed like an hour. It was a deep contemplation because when I knew once I said yes, there's no turning back. It wasn't just like yes at a retreat. Yes, I will give my life to you. No, it was just serious contemplation. It wasn't tears. It was just serious commitment. Me and the living God. Yes. Every time I want to quit, I go back to that. Every time my wife and I, we wake up and go, how did we marry one? Who's this woman beside me? And she's looking at me like, how am I going to last with this guy? Well, we had a lot of counseling. Amen to counseling. We made it, honey. But every time we want to quit, just like that, oh, quit. And trying to, my gosh. We can't just do it for the sake of the kids. Sometimes we're just like, oh, my goodness. I just don't like you right now. I don't like you. She's like, touche, touche. <laughs> Same thing. You know what preserved us? It was God calling us together. Her father saying, you marry my daughter. That was God. That was the only the third time he spoke to me. Four years after, three times he spoke to me, and the third time he said, you, what are you going to do when you go to California? What are you going to do? I'm only 22. What are, I don't know what to do. I have no money. He said, you, I give you money. You marry my daughter. You take. I'm like, what? It's May. I got to go in September. He goes, it's okay. And he invited 1,000 people to our wedding. 500 people came. Thank God. But 500, my gosh. We planned that wedding, 500 people in three months, three and a half months, got married, went to Jamaica for a week, came back, took all our stuff, went to California. 
And we went to Pasadena to do our studies. It was the word. Do you have a word? It's that's, I have a purpose. God is not, God did not create me in an assembly line. I am not made from Taiwan. We're not all the same. We're not, this is one of the things I tell my students who are from China. You are not made in a factory. You are crafted. The Bible says he is master craftsman. He made you. When he made you in Genesis, he got down. Every, everything else he spoke, earth, heavens, bam, and it happened. But when he made you, he made you. He worked because you are the apex of his creation. You are the height of his creation. And he said, wow, I got to rest because I worked for that. I don't know about you. When I think about that, I'm like, I want to know why, why I was made. That is the first thing you need to do to overcome any kind of contrarian forces. Anything that comes against you, kind of sickness, spirit of death, depression, words that come against you that says that you're made for nothing. Your parents, whatever, pressure, all those things, failure, all those things. Failure is nothing. It's just an opportunity to grow. It's to remind you that resilience comes from, it's not just resilience, pop psychology that says, well, you got to meditate, you got to do all these things. Yes, those are all good, but you got to meditate and chew on the words that have been given to your life. What has God said about your life? I don't know why I'm yelling. I just told my wife that this week, I saw a preacher was yelling like the whole time, and I said, I used to be like that. Notice I'm more calm. I didn't even notice I'm mature. I don't have to yell, but then the Lord's like, I'm going to make you yell this Sunday. He is funny. Purpose. Other side. That's how you wage a warfare. What has God said about you? Proverbs 29, 18, without prophetic vision. It's not just vision. It's prophetic. God-given vision in your life you will be unrestrained, undisciplined. Amen. Second principle. Fourth watch of the night is between three and six. How many guys know we're supposed to be sleeping between three and six? Amen. Please, Lord, take away this hour change stuff. So ridiculous and make nonsense. It's nonsensical. I don't like nonsensical. It just makes no sense. What? what? Oh. Three to six is just before dawn. Jesus shows up. What was Jesus doing? He was praying for you. He's watching you. He's not away. He's not, you're not alone. He's always there. But sometimes he leaves you alone to remind you he's watching he's praying interceding according to romans he is there for you he's not against you and it's and he why didn't he come earlier like you know most parents they project bad things happening to their kids and the you know 
I used to do that with my children when they were walking and they're like, they don't know how to walk. Talk about when they're little, not old. If they'd walk like that when they're old, they're drunk. <laughs> when they're little, they're like stumbling and they're going to hit their head or something like that. And we anticipate as parents. Amen? You guys are not parents, but you will, you'll see. You can't even talk to people properly because you're looking at your kid. Yeah, hello? Because you wanna, you're anticipating them falling and hitting, cracking their head or something. And then, like, and then you want to prevent everything bad. You don't want anything bad to happen to them. Praise God. We learned with Zachary, we were like that. Zach, Zach. We even had like a little string on him. And then he's like, ah! He hated it, but I'm like, you're not going anywhere, son. It's like, so stupid, a dog. It was a dog leash. <laughs> Literally. I'm like, why would I do that? But my daughter, I'm like, well, I don't know why we did this with my daughter. <laughs> we just let her go. And then she would hit her head and she'll go, oh. And she'll fall on the ground and she'll be like, ah. It's because she realized, you know, God, dad is watching. It must not be that bad. Mm. He, she always looked at me like, where's dad? He's over there. He's watching. He, it must not be that bad. She just got used to the idea it must not be that bad. Because my daddy's watching. The storms that are happening in your life, it must not be that bad. Because God is on top of it. And he's waiting for you to give up trying so you can start trusting. How many guys are like, you're trying to be a good Christian? I'm trying so hard. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying this. I'm failing. I can't even do the 66 days. Just reading one verse. Oh, I'm a failure. Uh, you're trying to be a good person. You're trying to be holy. But the Lord is wanting you to trust. And only way for, him to, for you to trust him is to be so tired that you don't want to try anymore. That's the point of breakthrough. <laughs> so that's good news. If you're tired and you're like, I don't want to do it no more, my goodness, that's your breakthrough. The end of you is the beginning of God. That's when God's like, okay, finally, you stop trying and you start trusting. That's when everything gets released. You're like, oh, I just have to trust God. What you want me to do? God is not somebody to be tried. He is not a new restaurant that you try. Some people go to churches to try. I want to try God. I want to give him another chance as if you're giving God a chance. God is giving you the opportunity. You're going in the wrong direction. He's saying, come onto the right track. Stop trying. Start trusting. That's why prayer is the evidence of trust. Lack of prayer is evidence of you trying. Reading the Bible is evidence of you trying but the evidence of trusting is praying before you read the Bible. Oh. 
trust him. You know, there's like, I teach this in school. When everyone's going through change, it's always, when you're changing, I, I teach leading change in organizations. That's one of my main courses. I even developed a course for international students to do the course asynchronously. I didn't know. I thought it would be easy. I'll just develop this course and I'll forget about it. I did not know that every time they take this course in Africa, China, India, or South America, I would have to grade all their papers. <laughs> One of my colleagues said, Steve, you know that you got to, man, those Far Center courses are hard. I'm like, oh, I developed it. It's good. It looks really good. She said, you know, that's not the end. You are trapped with that course forever. <gasps> what? She said, because your name's on it. <gasps> What does that mean? You have to grade all their papers. <gasps> you are the instructor on record. There's facilitators, but you're the instructor. <gasps> so I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> I don't care how much money they pay me. I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Oh, no. I got to quit then. I got to be like, I'm quitting. Take that off the internet. But when you talk about change, all change is about learning to do something new. And how you overcome the obstacles that prevent you from learning something new. And there's a homeostasis of you wanting to stay in your present state, pulling you back to your original. How do I do something new? And the learning dip is one of the most basic principles. When you're like trying something new, you get excited, there's momentum, and then after a while, this is too hard, and there's like a brick wall. I don't want to do it anymore. But that's the second win. That's the key. The moment you want to give up, if you just press in, you'll overcome that brick. Even the world, even organizational psychology and business practices know the moment you want to give up is the moment of your breakthrough. Fourth watch of the night. So don't give up. There's moments when I'm tired. I want to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. This is tiring. I got three jobs. I don't want to do it no more. And if I'm like, oh, I got, a, I got more energy today, today, that's, the, that's still you. That's the, it's got to be the end of you. It has to be the beginning of God. Because only God can do what you can't. And it's only through God you get to the other side. Amen? The last point. Well, I have two more points. But the la maybe the last point, I'll just say it when you're standing. It says in Re Revelation 8, verse 1, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Everybody say silence. Half an hour. <laughs> How did John know it was half an hour? I don't know, but the Bible says it. Then I saw the seven angels who stood before God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood in the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer to the, with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the Lord. So that incense, a smell, sweet-smelling fragrance, according to the word and according to Old Testament theology and Jewish theology, is the prayers of the saints. And then it rolls before God, and it's almost like, everybody be quiet. I want to hear the prayers of the saints. 
People ask me, like, does my prayer count? Like, people, look at, look what it says here. It's like when you pray, there's a symbol. It's like God is trying to give you this, this, he's shouting out. When you pray, I hear you. Everybody be quiet. I want to hear their prayers. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And that is always a symbol of action. And there were thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and earthquake. Now, this is talking about the last judgment. But those, all those things in theology symbolize God's action and activity. Now, I want you to check this out. This is happening where? In the spiritual realm. There's things happening that you do not understand. That's why when I want to give up, I understand that things are happening that I do not understand. And God is acting. There's, he hears my prayers. It might be 30 minutes. It might be two months. It might be a year. But God will move when he will move. And it's in cooperation with the prayers of the saints. God is gracious, even if your prayers are messed up and you're like, I'm afraid, Lord, save me. He hears that because he's gracious. And he also hears, Lord, if it's you, let me come and walk on water. He hears that because he's, he's gracious. All kinds of petitions and prayers and decrees that you make to God, God hears all of them, and he will do what he will do in alignment with your prayers. That is the sovereignty of God. God created the world in such a way that he will do nothing apart from partnership with human beings. That's why Jesus came. Otherwise, he would just do it by himself. <sighs> well, how much incense? How, how many prayers do we have to How many days? Can I just do a couple weeks? That's you trying, God. That's you manipulating God. That's the contractual relationship. You say, if I just pray seven weeks, if I fast two days, will that happen? Will, will you do it? And that's not faith. That's you trusting your covenant or your contract with the Lord. How many guys know God is not McDonald's? He's not 7-Eleven. He's not a convenience store. He's not Starbucks app that you put in and then you demand the coffee. I put in the app. When I, when I put, in, put something on my app and then the coffee's not there, I get a little bit irritated. I should be a pastor and I should be more nice, but I'm like, it's been 10 minutes. I put in the app. What's the point of ordering before if it's not there? Do you know, sorry, if you guys work at Starbucks, I am the worst customer. I, I just, Lord, I have weaknesses. Amen. I am an impatient man. Amen. I need to learn patience. I've been, you're thank, you, you should be thankful that you didn't meet me 30 years ago. <laughs> that's why you need a good wife oh man I demand it I demand that it work I paid my dues I demand it when you pray and when you read the word I, I should have this I shouldn't be going through these contrarian storms I'm a Christian I gave my life to God I demand it that is not, that is not faith that's trusting in what you did for God in the name of God hoping that he will act and give you, give you the blessings on your works. We work because we trust God. We do because 
he commands us to do, and we do it and we leave it up to him. The timing is up to God. What we do on this, plant, on this side of the heaven is up to us. There's two kinds of times. There's chronological time and there's Kairos time. Chronological time is when you wake up every day, brush your teeth for the Lord Jesus Christ, and floss so that you don't get diseases. You floss. Amen? Because God commands his cleanliness since we just do it. <laughs> and he's not going to hate you if you don't. And, you know, my wife, God knows, she loves me when I don't floss, but she'll tell me. She'll just do that. You, your mouth, you get bad breath. I like floss because I like kissing her. Amen? My kids are like, that's so gross, Dad. Why do you keep talking to her? Because I love your mom. Sometimes I send pictures of me and my wife kissing on the, like, Granville Island or something. And I kiss her, and then I send it to them, and they're like, why? I want you to know I love your mama, and I like kissing her, even after 30 years. I don't know why I'm talking about all this. <laughs> There's chronological time. Things that you do every day. You go to work. You do. Even working is godliness because the Lord commanded you to work. Amen? You don't have to have like, oh, God showed up, angels showed up, oh, every single day. Just waking up, going to work, and being thankful for your job is godliness, according to Proverbs. You got bad days and good days. I have those days. I work. I know. I'm one of you. I work every day. You guys think this is my full-time job? I have another full-time job. I work every day. Things go well. Things don't go well. Sometimes my classes are good. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes my students irritate me to no end. It's just up and down. Chronological time. But you just keep faith. You just trust God. You persevere. You trust in him. Rely upon him. You, don't, you, you pray. You, you surrender. You give in to his purposes. And you seek the Lord. And you seek his guidance, and you just do it every day, and sometimes there's silence, and sometimes there's not. Sometimes, you guys understand what I'm saying. You just do that every day, and then one day there will be a chirotic moment when the Lord opens the heavens, and he acts, and he throws thunder, boom, and you know, wow, God acted. Now, if I knew how long I had to persevere, it would be easy if the Lord said, you just do that for a year and I'm just going to give you a breakthrough that you never even thought, bam, that you would just be, wow, I would do it for a year. Two months. If you fast for 14 days, everything you wanted financially will break through and you will have like, no, it doesn't work that way. You guys are understanding what I'm saying. You just persevere. You just press in and then, and then you trust the Lord to know that in time he will deliver. Somehow. Some way. He will always come through because that's his name. I am who I am. That's why Jesus said, take courage. Be of good cheer. The Greek word also means, take courage means be audacious. Be bold. Let your faith be audacious. There needs to be an audacity to your faith. In spite of all the contrary winds, I am audacious. I believe that I will walk on this water. I believe it's the fourth watch of the night. Where is Jesus? But he will show up before the storm ends. You hear, you understand what I'm trying to say. 
Because your destiny is not in the water. It's on the other side. That's your purpose. So my prayer is, my prayer, if I was on the boat, I would say, Jesus, you told me to go on this water. You gave me a calling to go on the other side. What's up? I'm going to keep trusting you. You will show up because that's your name. You cannot defy your name. I am who I am. He could have said, I am love. I am kind. That's my name. No, he said, I am who I am. I will be faithful to you as I was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's his name. So I wait patiently, trusting him, because the Kairos moment will happen in your life. Breakthroughs. Over 30 years of ministry, it always happens to me. Eventually, it breaks through. There's moments like, where are you, God? But I trust you. You're going to come. It might be like, man, you could have came on the third watch, but fourth watch is good too. Because you're doing something in me. It took four watches at the night for you to transform me. I wish you took only one watch. My heart is hardened. I need to keep trusting. This is a test. Amen? Why don't we stand? God always delivers. I wrote a whole book about how he delivers in our lives. Every time there's like opposition, I know there's something on the other side. Every time there's contrarian winds and things don't seem like it's going as it should, I know there's a breakthrough on the other side because I know what he called me to do, what he called us to do, what our family to do. I know that I know that he's faithful. How do you persevere? Where's your resilience? It's not me. It's the Lord putting that in me to remind me. Remember the loaves? Remember your life? Remember all that I did for you? Remember. Whenever something big happens, I remember. I go back and remember, oh, you were there. Oh, like Sonia's father, who was an elder, 30 years in a staunch Presbyterian church, very conservative, asked this rebellious kid that just gave his life to Jesus to marry his daughter. Oh, that's Cairo's moment. When I quit my ministry, I had no job. After 18 years, I was like, what are we going to do? We have no money. We're going to go into our savings. That's going to go down fast. And then I trusted the Lord, waited two months, said, Lord, I trust you. I don't want any job. I want your job. And then somebody called me from Ontario. I knew you when I, you, were 14, you, you were 18 and I was 14. And I remember. I remember you. And I saw your last sermon at your church and how you talked about trusting God and I need that in my life and I just thought I would Facebook message you to see if you remember me and I'm like sure I remember you and then I said you want to you have a chat I can help and then we chatted and then she said I need a coach I, I said well I just put up that website I've never coached anyone <laughs> I said I'm an executive coach but never I've coached a lot of people but you know like you'll be my first real like client that pays me a lot of money and she said well let me be your first I said where do you work I work as a general counsel of the largest charity in Canada 
$33 billion. We're going to fly you over so you can interview with the COO. Interviewed. I said, what is your definition of coaching? I said, building trust with my clients. I said, you're hired. Ten minutes. Two years. And then somebody else called, hey, I need a coach. One of the largest real estate companies in B.C. I need a coach. Huh, what's going on here? And a pastor called, I need a coach. This is this Kairos moments. And then I got a call from Trinity Western University. You want to be a teacher? I'm not qualified. That's okay. <laughs> They're qualified enough. Let's interview. I interviewed and said, we'll make you a sessional instructor part-time. Two years later, hey, we thought about you, and we think you should be on our faculty. Hey, I don't, it's not me. Do you guys understand? It's me trusting the Lord, believing, just keep believing. And then I just, every day, just believe. Every day I believe. I trust you. I trust you. I say it out loud every single day at Urban Fair. I trust you. People around me must think I'm crazy. I trust you. Close my eyes and I'm like, I trust you. People must think I'm crazy. This I say it. I trust you. I trust you. I wake up saying I trust you and I sleep saying I trust you. I trust you. You are my God. Because I know breakthrough was happening. It always delivers. Amen? Amen. How many guys need a breakthrough? Yeah, some of you are like, no, I'm good. I don't need no breakthroughs. I don't need God to intervene. How many guys need God to intervene in your life? How many guys want to see a God, in, God encounter? Like, that was God. Wow, I could not make that happen. That's God. How many guys want that? Lift up your hands high to the heaven and say, God, I want those encounters in my life. I want you to just break through into my life. Rend the heavens and come down. I want that Kairos moment. Well, you're going to have to work in the Kronos moment, in the chronological time of trusting Him. Don't try. Trust. However long. I trust you. So just say that out loud. I trust you, Lord. Let's say it with a little bit more conviction. I trust you, Lord. Say that every day. Trust you, Lord. Say it like you mean it, and you will see, you will feel the peace of God coming into your heart, no matter what. To close, even when we're praying this morning, just felt like there's people who are teeter-tottering whether I should try God try God for another season I don't know maybe I'll try God maybe I'll try this church called Main City I'll try God and I feel like the Lord spoke to you today you're not supposed to try you're supposed to trust so why don't we all do this together everybody put their hand on your heart so that we don't single people out Everybody do it together. And can we all repeat this together? Just repeat after me so that we don't single people out. But if it's you, say it, out, say it with conviction. Jesus, I trust you. I don't know what the future holds. But I know that you hold the future. 
I give my life to you. You are a good God. You're a good father. You're the God who walks on the storm. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to walk with you. Wherever it leads. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. So I may know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.